how can I have spiritual integrity with my sex life, you know? And like, that doesn't have to look like I'm a fucking Puritan. So that's why I mean, I'm curious to ask other people about what their experience is with it, you know? What does their, what does others healing look like? everybody this is Ryan and this is Louisa and you're listening to sober sex I made a promise to myself to stop not listening what it looks like now is that I make conscious choices around my sexuality it started with putting down the substances really and starting to listen and the listening to my body has changed Today, we are thrilled to welcome Rebecca, a Birmingham-bred, Berlin-based DJ producer, Creative Force, who has been kind enough to join us on Sober Sex. Uh, Rebecca has recently been at the helm of exciting and deeply necessary movement for the music, which is essentially clubbing culture's answer to Me Too. She has many years sober, and it's a pleasure to get to know her better via the podcast today. Oh, welcome, Rebecca. Thank you so much for being here. So just at the top of the show, we felt like it also might be super important to give a potential trigger warning. Um, Due to the nature of this conversation, in which we're explicitly discussing rape culture, sexual misconduct, if this is a hard topic for you to hear about, we suggest that you skip this and go to our next episode. Sober Sex is also here to support you to the best of our ability on whatever social media channels you reach out to us on. And we're open to feedback about these complex and challenging issues. So first things first, how are you doing today, Rebecca? Um, I'm good. Kind of a little bit down in one way, but... Um, but yeah, managing, I suppose. I think it's just that, I think right now it's this uncertainty where the winter is heading to with Corona and it just feels really bleak and I just kind of want to escape, but obviously we can't. Totally <laughs> so, feel <yeah>. that. <laughs> but, what about you, Lou? Yeah, definitely have some of that. And I find that it kind of comes in waves. Like a couple of weeks ago was really 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 dark and like it's it's moved a little bit so that's nice like I'm finding that staying present and kind of just like returning and returning and returning to presence has been really helpful um but you know it's like the ability to do that <laughs> like the bandwidth with which I can return to presence is like fluctuating so today's okay but I definitely hear you Rebecca what about you Rose yeah I'm doing I'm doing all right actually I'm feeling pretty good um had a client earlier today and um, prepping some interesting projects that are coming up. Um, And yeah, just grateful to be part of this conversation actually. And and to hear about the changes that you're making, Rebecca, and this campaign that you're launching. So yeah, thrilled to be here for the most part. So uh, we also always like to ask our guests their preferred pronouns. How would you like us to refer to you today, Rebecca? Um, just as Rebecca. Okay. Is that right? Well, yeah. yeah, perfect. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and where are you? I'm in Berlin. I'm at home in Berlin. And yeah, yeah, just, I've just been... But I, I mean, I had two gigs the weekend just gone, which was really good. It was like kind of back to normal. And that gave me um, a little bit of a, an uplift. Um, but Super yeah, exciting that yeah, it's actually happening. 
but but like honestly it was like three hour three and a half hours on one set three hours or two hours 45 minutes on another honestly I'm not I'm not ready for that kind of length of time <laughs> yeah I'm man. So out of it <laughs> the muscles that like the muscle memory of like remembering how to kind of put together a set like that because the live streams are only like an hour hour and a half max so the <laughs> damn I don't know if I could do like six yeah, hours of DJ in one week <laughs> like oh no <laughs> not yeah. for like three weeks at least I, to... yeah, I was pretty dead on Sunday I tried to like, I did do CrossFit on Sunday it was like the worst worst uh session ever I was like failing miserably miserably but um <laughs> sure if that's failing that... <laughs> I mean I think just the fact that you went to CrossFit yeah, is showing pretty up pretty epic. Impressive. <laughs> yeah but I mean, congratulations yeah. I'm glad but I it totally like in in context the idea of kind of having like a little bit of a low this week makes sense you know like that's such even just like the sleep schedule I think shift has it's been like it's been really nice to be able to stabilize that and then to like think about going back to work and traveling and like staying up all night I'm like oh hmm, I don't know (laughs) if my mental health feels going to be super great surrounding that and just the shift I should imagine for you guys suddenly going from like the stamina it takes to be out there all night and be coming and going and doing the hustle and then it just being a period of stopping and your body like it it must just it must be confusing for one's body to kind of like shift into that as well right what I did was on the Friday before I left I ate three donuts for lunch and that just sort of saw me through the whole of the weekend um so I kind of like was just literally living on sugar and carbs for the weekend and I realized how much I was doing that anyway. Um, so, yeah, now probably the, the low mood is probably, yeah, the payback of that. Um, oh, man. But it, it, it wasn't too bad. It, it, it wasn't. It was just, yeah. And it, because the gigs were good. If the gigs were really bad, then it would have been like, ugh. But uh, the gigs were actually really nice. But I, Are you getting crowds showing up in mass in uh, Berlin at the moment? What's going on over there? Yeah, the there's open open air parties at the moment um and they i think they're up to a thousand so the party i did on saturday afternoon it's all daytime so from 11 o'clock at night till six o'clock everything's closed so they're allowed to open in the daytime apparently corona only (laughs) it's nocturnal virus (laughs) it's nocturnal (laughs) yeah so um so yeah (laughs) and um and yeah there's a thousand people um tops off swinging their t-shirts everywhere it was October (laughs) we're out (laughs) Berlin it was a rave it was great but uh yeah were there masks were people still wearing masks yes everyone was in masks so you have to wear a mask um you DJ in a mask everything's uh pretty well organized on that part that's really good news. And I mean, I, other than kind of like DJing, how are you feeling like creatively and spiritually? Like what's during this strange and endless, seemingly endless season? Um, I feel, to be honest, it's like really kind of up and down, like obviously doing, um, you know, setting up the campaign has been, you know, super emotional, but I'd like, but, but really rewarding in other ways, you know, really like actually connecting to people, which has been super nice and actually coming out of my own mind. Like, you know, you know, as an addict, you, you know, you know, being in your own head is just not good for you. So doing other things that like, uh, for the good of others is always, uh, the best option spiritually. 
um creatively yeah I like I'm not really in the studio but it's because I've already like had one EP out and I've got another one coming um but now I'm like I've got the itch to do another EP so I'm, I'm like working towards that so yeah just really just keeping on it but it's just more about like how I spread my time around at the moment which I'm finding a little bit more difficult there's a lot of calls there's a lot of um admin work that I'm doing and um and yeah it's like I'm trying to figure out how much of the day I should spend on that project and that project and that project is there's a lot going on so I'm a little bit overwhelmed in that department but you know we'll, I'll work it out well we really appreciate you having this talk with us and I know that like especially kind of as we mentioned at the top of the show this the subject matter of the campaign is it can be heavy and draining and like as you said kind of emotionally taxing so I'm curious as to kind of how you're taking care of yourself like in that way, like what, what does nourishment look like when that well feels dry? Um, I, I like, a, I'm trying, like I go and do my sports. So that really helps. Um, I did do a meditation retreat, but that was generally because I needed to look at some health issues that I'd had like for the last 18 months. Um, so I needed to deal with my stress and my gut was like really inflamed. Um, so I learned a little bit more about meditation or getting back into meditation and really got to do some yoga, which was really, really nice. And I really, when I came back from that, I felt like I didn't want to do all this high intensity sport anymore. I was like, you know what, my body has just been full, full on for like the last eight years. Maybe I should just do something else that's a little bit more slower and, you know, the, the kind of the balance to my, you know, my stressful life and, you know, my, you know, drugs wise I've you know I was always addicted to really uh you know things that that made me even more anxious and more like, oh yeah so, <laughs> so it, it's no oh, surprise yeah. that I'm addicted to like CrossFit and all oh, this high intensity <laughs> you know 150 bpm techno it's like it's all the same thing I feel so. you <laughs> so the, uh, the, just the, you saying like I came back from meditation retreat I wanted to do more yoga so I played two gigs <laughs> I did CrossFit on the Sunday <laughs> like this is chilling oh uh, I so relate <laughs> yeah oh yeah maybe <laughs> <laughs> yeah so it's all um so yeah maybe yoga is the way forward for me perhaps we'll see you do some yoga though don't you Lou yeah yeah it's uh like especially because all the gyms in Paris shut down it was like it was a good solution to kind of getting better like balance and strength and kind of like mixing it up and I've been really enjoying it because it's not something that I'm necessarily like good at immediate like I had to like learn about it and it was a space that I could play whereas like lifting or running or doing like intensity stuff I'm i I like knowing what I'm doing. I like feeling hyper competent and in yoga, I'm just like a spaz. <laughs> so it's been a nice, like, it's been nice to be humbled, you know? When I met Lou, I remember being like, hey, you should come do yoga with me. She was like, literally, I couldn't think of anything worse. <laughs> and I was like, I fucking kill myself. I was like, please, come on. I work at this studio. Come on. And she was like, you're never going to see me there. Stop going on about it. Like, <laughs> there was no, there was no getting Lou in a yoga studio. Okay. And like, <laughs> And this year you've been fucking bossing every it day that. every day because <laughs> we're not if, we're, if you can't like do it to the level that's a bit like alarming <laughs> why bother <laughs> yeah I mean like like what put me off with yoga was that 
I just went in, I would always go in straight away to Bikram, which is like the highest intensity. Oh my God. I'd end up like having like a huge migraine after, and then I wouldn't touch yoga for like another six months or something. So like. <laughs> Bikram's literally the worst. I mean, it's the worst thing. you. I did it for absolutely years. Hot take, personal opinion. <laughs> oh my God. It fucked me up like I ended up damaging ligaments in my joint because they they have this thing in Bikram especially where they're like push yourself beyond your capacity as far as you can go bend 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 and I'm just like yes and I'm hyper flexible and I have like problems (laughs) and I have no strength so I was just getting more and more flexible my ego was like oh yes this feels so good (laughs) the meantime I'm (laughs) fucking ruining my joints and my fascia so be careful listeners of (laughs) Bikram if you're at all if you're an addict like it's not it's like my husband and I always joke about Bikram it's like the place to go if you have like any addictive tendencies whatsoever <laughs> et voila et voila et voila so um at this point we tend to dive into the deep end pretty early here on sober sex and i'd like to ask you what some of the early messages you received around sex and sexuality were i i don't really like hmm, actually no where where, where am i going to start with this um <laughs> No, I think I, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's such a strange question to be asked, but I will um, answer it as best as I can. Um, I think I was exposed to, to it through, like my parents let, allowed me to watch a lot of films. Like I would watch films with them from a very young age. So I would end up watching a lot of, not adult films, but, but adult films like probably rated 16, no, 15, 18 rated films some horror films and then there was definitely some films that were really uncomfortable um to watch with your parents when the sex scenes would come on so I think (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) so I think that was probably my first sort of um yeah weird messages around sex I remember walking in on my parents as well having sex oh god yeah I literally legged it and ran to my neighbor's house in horror you left the building <laughs> I did <laughs> I was so, awesome. so I think I'm I think maybe those early incidents have left me a little bit prudish around sex actually and it's really ironic because obviously you know when I turned uh, 19 I kind of got into doing glamour modeling and I did top shelf magazines and stuff so for someone who was quite prudish around, <laughs> around sex, um, it was a really bizarre thing to get into. Um, anyway, yeah, so those are probably my first experiences. Yeah. Awesome. Rad. Thanks for and your how did... candid answer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and how did that kind of inf- unfold from there, really? Like, how did you find your way into top shelf modeling? Um it was actually because like I was, I was already wanting to be a DJ a few years before I got into modeling. Um, and I just saw it as a job that I could do (laughs) that I could make, you know, full-time money work a few days a week. And in my head, no one would know. (laughs) 
So you talk uh, about it on podcast. <laughs> yeah, no one would know about it. Like, so I could just get away with it. Like, you know, I even had a, a fake name and or everything. I, I think I was called Angelique or something, some really rubbish name. And um, yeah, I just, I just hope that I wouldn't be be seen. And obviously, you know, you, when you when you're 19, you're pretty naive, um, and you don't realize that anything that goes on the internet is going to be there forever. <laughs> I mean, especially like early internet was just like, no one does this. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and it's really weird with the top shelf stuff. You kind of, you work. So the way that I went into the industry was you work, I worked for six months. I did, like, you work with every photographer and you basically work your way out of it. It was a really quick thing. Um, and, you know, I did a couple of sort of films but they you know it's very very fake you know you, it's like it looks real but it's super fake the whole thing um and and then I got into doing um page three so I worked with like uh, the, the tabloids and I became a glamour model um but I got onto the page three without um but there's a lapse so by the time the pictures came out of the top shelf stuff, I was already doing the page three stuff. There was like a delay that like it's always backed up. So I, yeah, so the the page three things, like the page three papers weren't happy knowing that I actually did top shelf stuff. It was a bit of a, like a bit of, um, it was a bit of drama around that. Um, but anyway, yeah, I kind of worked my way backwards in that scene. So by the end of it, it was like four years doing glamour modeling. And at the end of it, I was doing some really nice work. I was working for like um, Ann Summers and GQ magazine. And oh, nice. I actually was writing a sex column. How funny is this? I was actually, <laughs> me, the prude, like ooh, writing like a sex column uh, for GQ. And I did Amazing. that for, for about What was your best sex six. advice for GQ? <laughs> yeah, like it was just silly stories and, you know, made up stuff. And yeah, it was just... Yeah, it was just something fun. I think I did that for about a year. So they, those are the kind of things I ended up doing at the end of my career, whereas normally the girls that go in, they start off doing page three and then they slowly get into top shelf. And then before they know it, they're, you know, do, doing more porn magazines and porn films and stuff. So it's a really like I did my mine in reverse for some reason. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it allowed you to, you know, become a working DJ. So that's like served its purpose in a in a beautiful way. Yeah, I mean, it it definitely opened. It's weird because it opened a couple of doors to getting on an agency. So my name got out there. Um, you know, in the beginning, you know, I'm not going to lie, we did use it like in the first ever biog, like at my first ever DJ biog, we used the you know the modeling thing. And then after that, it was like, I didn't need to use it anymore. But, you know, I was really young and naive, you know, like it's, it's this is like 20 odd years ago. So it's, um, you know, when you're that young and you just, you just want to DJ, you don't care, you don't, you know, you're pretty ruthless. You just want to, you'll play whatever, you'll do whatever it takes. Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> and, um, and then, yeah, right. Then, then, then it was just sort of off for, I don't know, another six, four or five years of DJing. And then I got really disheartened with that because I was playing like really crappy music. I didn't enjoy it. And um, I just had to learn a bit more about production. So I had to go back to school and yeah. And then now I'm in this phase, which is like my second kind of DJ career sort of thing. 
but yeah. And what sort of music do you play? Sorry, I'm not a DJ. Um, <laughs> I, I play uh, techno music, so pretty hard um, techno at the moment. Um, Rebecca's an industrial techno heroine. Is it industrial? I don't oh, know. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> it's brutal. It's really great. I'll, I'll play like, some food this weekend, Rose. <laughs> okay. like every, every few years it gets a new name, so <laughs> it's re regenerated or something. Yeah, I didn't change just the nomenclature around whatever we're doing. Um, Love it. And so, what eventually led you to get sober? Um, I I just kind of had enough. I was at rock bottom, and I previously tried to get clean when I was about twenty seven, and I managed it for three months. Um, and I had some CBT around that time, so I, you know, I kind of. The therapy was really good. I was really ready for it. And, but then what happened was the therapy, like, kind of allowed me to take drugs without feeling any guilt. So then, <laughs> God, that's the worst use of therapy I've ever heard. It helped with, like, my issues. Like, so then I could just take drugs. But then you don't realize you just, you're just in a black hole because you're not, right. there's not even anything to fight for anymore. You just end up in this sort of, that's where I was in the end, like in a black hole. That's, you know, and, and I was, really suicidal like you know people um it's not normal I I was just sort of at the end thinking about what it'd be like to throw myself in front of a train you know like how what how would I kill myself and and then at some point I just sort of snapped out of it I was like oh my god like what what am I doing you know like you know about NA go to NA um and then I just remember like you know, I had to change everything. Like I left my boyfriend at that time. I moved out. I like literally started again. Um, I got to the first meeting and like, I just remember, you know, getting a big hug off this girl and I'm just like, oh, just exactly what I needed. Um, and then, yeah, you know, I'd done, I'd done all the drugs. I, it was just in the end, I was just doing Coke and it's like the worst drug ever. Like there's just, it's like, the way that I saw that in the end, it was just like, you know, one line was like like 20 minutes of self-esteem in the end for me. That's all it was. So, you know, I don't miss it. <laughs> yeah, totally relate to that. <laughs> yeah. You're like, oh, man, it's 20, 20 minutes of self-esteem, if that, and then like three hours of uncomfortable anxiety and like being really annoying <laughs> and like knowing how annoying you're being and being unable to stop being annoying until you get more cocaine. <laughs> yeah it's so shit when it stops working like that 20 minutes is so i remember that at the end just being so disappointed (laughs) (laughs) thinking like this is 20 minutes like cocaine was meant to be like a great time (laughs) you know what i mean the choice drug like fuck because i used to do a lot of speed when i was younger and things like that but like cocaine felt like i graduated you know what i mean and then when cocaine stopped working you're just like guess it's med time (laughs) (laughs) guess it's valium time you know whatever it's such a bore anyway um what what do you feel like um have how have you felt like your relationship to sex and sexuality has changed since you got sober it it's been really difficult to be honest I'm not gonna lie um it, it (laughs) (laughs) it was um because before when, you know, like I, it was hard for me to understand who I was sexually because, you know, I'd done the modeling and I, you know, through my modeling, I've, I've collected all this beautiful lingerie and, you know, and I, you know, 
previously I'd be, you know, you, you drink and you take drugs and you put all the stuff on and, you know, it's all an act. And, and it's like, I didn't even know who I was, to be honest. Once I got sober, I didn't know who I was sexually. I didn't know what I liked. I didn't know anything. Um, and I did actually go and do some therapy around it because it was really a struggle. Um, you know, and I've even, like, I even have problems down there. Like I had some, I've had loads of issues. It's like some negative energy that's just manifested into lots of uh, issues um, and, you know, painful issues as well. So I don't know. It's it's just, it's still not 100% good. I know what I have to do to get better, but um, yeah, my desire is not so great. And what I notice, like, I think it's, um, you know, when I do lots of sports and I take different supplements and stuff, and then, you know, you, you can take supplements that help increase different hormones. And then I realize actually, I'm really hormonally imbalanced around sex mm. as well. Mm. But um, the doctors won't give me anything until I've decided whether I want kids or not. So it's like, um, even though that <laughs> I'm kind of running out of time. Um, so it's it's like I'm just having to live with this right now. Um, I don't know. How, how do you guys feel? Like, if you got any tips or is it pretty much the same? I it's, it's thank you so much for your honesty yeah. first of all sorry to interrupt you rose like thank you for being so like courageously honest in that because it is it can be super taboo especially i think for women to talk about um in recovery so you were saying yeah. rose <laughs> no i just want i wanted to say like it's really awesome that you um have shared that here because i actually think it's the only way that we change the conversation is by having the conversation and that you can be open enough to to share your experience on in that journey because it's very easy sometimes to share from the end of like oh now looking back I had problems or whatever but like being in it and I super identify yeah like I've had a intimacy is really been deeply political for me in a, in a way actually and transformative in my in my recovery and I had such a mistrust of my own um sexual being as a sober woman, because once I kind of got some sober and clean time behind me, I was like scared of that becoming that woman that I was before and like the way that I misused my body in that way. And which I hadn't even pieced together getting sober. I was just like, yeah, I'm just going to keep doing what I did before, like, but sober. Right. <laughs> and then suddenly you're like, oh no, and you get reflective and you start paying attention. And, and so, um, that's why we really have set up this platform, honestly, is to be able to have conversations around, this uncomfortable conversation like and especially for women you know like what happens when desire shifts or goes in relationship or not in relationship like it's a mind fucking field yeah so that's that's where I'm at right now it's not black and white at all I have periods where I have no desire I have periods where I have desire I also suffer from hormone imbalance and a thyroid issue and I have to just pay huge attention to what I'm eating, how I'm moving my body, how I'm engaging um, in talking to my body, because often that has a huge impact on how I show up as a sexual person as well. Like I'm the first person to like shut myself down. It's not anybody else at this point. It's all me. So I have to just be really vigilant around the conversations that I'm imploding on my self-esteem. So that's where I am in amongst that right now. Lou? Ooh, 
Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because I got sober when I was 20. So I had like kind of limited time prior to getting sober to like discover who I was sexually. But I did have pretty clear ideas of what I liked that I felt like were no longer kind of on the table for me because I felt like they were too kind of linked to this like depraved, addicted behavior that was part of my life or my a large part of my life when I was in active addiction. I mean, especially when we talk about like cocaine specifically, because I think it's like, it's the ego and it's this kind of like plastic out of body experience. And it made me feel invincible. And it made me not think about that part of my life. Like it connect, it both connected me to my kind of sexuality and also like severed me from my body, which was really convenient. (laughs) And so to, um, you know, for the last like over 14 years, only recently feeling like I can kind of reconnect with like my, and it's not even like sexual necessary. It's like my, my erotic self, which is like, like what you were talking about in terms of like the intensity that you seek, like when you're in the gym and like, or on stage, like for me that that's like really where I start to kind of um, that's the person that I, I strive to kind of like, uh, embody, you know, and it is for me, it's like maybe again, sexual is like the wrong word because it's not necessarily relational. It doesn't have to do with fucking, but it's this kind of like, um, like embodied strength that I want to bring in to my relational self. Right. But, um, (laughs) that being said, like the longer I spend in like a healthy, um, like intimate relationship, like emotion, like with health and my emotional intimacy, like the realer shit gets. And that's hard, you know, because like, I want to be this, this type of person and yet like not feeling it a lot of the time. And then like, for me, a lot of my in sobriety, a lot of the stuff that came up, um, was around like food and body issues. So it's like, I mean, I was remembered like large parts of my recovery. It felt like if I had eaten that day, I was not going to be naked in front of anybody, you know, and that's like insane. (laughs) So to kind of pull all that together in terms of like, am I honestly like feeling it? You know, am I able to kind of connect emotion like sexually or with emotional intimacy? And am am I able to stay present in my body or like kind of three parts of this constellation that are constantly in flux, you know, and it's tough. Cause I think like what you're speaking to in terms of like wa- wanting to have clarity and wanting to have like kind of ease and comfort <laughs> in this thing that is like sold to us constantly, you know, cause like sex sells and then feeling like not quite in it or not quite there and what to do with that is hard. Um, but again, like it's part of the reason we're having these conversations because like we want to kind of take that out of like a taboo and, and be able to talk about like, how do we heal, you know, like, and how do we stay present for each other in that process? Yeah. And I also think it's like, I think, you know, I, you probably identify with this as well, but you know, when, when you first get clean, you I just totally use sex as another addiction and, you know, and then after that, once that had worn off, it's like, then like, then it's, I don't know what, what, like how, what next, you know, (laughs) (laughs) how do I escape this moment? (laughs) (laughs) So it's, um, 
yeah, for me, it's definitely searching. And then I search for a bit and then I just ignore that part of me and um, just get on with it. Yeah, take it out on the gym. I totally identified with that as well. Like going to the gym and lifting and doing the, the heaviest weights. And it's like, you know, I'm grunting and growling and it's like, yeah, I'm really frustrated, obviously. For some, <laughs> for some reason, it's like my sexual energy comes out at the gym rather than you know in the bedroom but maybe so. that I th- like for me there was one, one moment where I really realized I was like oh fuck like this is the thing I do in my life that's not for the male gaze like this is only for me like I don't care if I'm like being repulsive with how aggressive I am right now <laughs> like I love it I feel connected to like my own power and it's not for you you know it's not a performative thing it's not to be sexy for someone else it's like how I'm connecting to my like like feral femininity (laughs) and I think that that can actually be a really like holistic way of kind of getting back into the body and back into that energy and even if it's not ready to necessarily be shared like it's not necessarily sexy to somebody else like if I can kind of like feel that level of kind of like joy in my body then that that there is something there you know like it's it's important it's not like it's not there instead of the bedroom. It's like there on the way to the bedroom if that's what one wants, mm. in my that. opinion. <laughs> yeah. And they certainly don't do this in like sex education in school, do they? They're just like, here's a cucumber. Here's how to fuck is to if you're lucky. a cucumber. If you're lucky. <laughs> They're like, don't fuck. Ever. Oh my God. Oh God. <laughs> They're like, what is sex? God hates it. Stop. Oh my God. <laughs> so terrible I was fouls yeah and so what they should really be teaching is like hey women like this is how you fucking empower yourself like do what makes you feel good like yeah (laughs) yes big fan um so to kind of shift the conversation in (laughs) um into um for the music what made sorry I'm gonna start that question again (laughs) cool it's like the the incredible pivot it's very awkward (laughs) so now to kind of shift the conversation into hashtag for the music what made you want to start this campaign um it came from um I think Eric Murillo passing away and just seeing how divided the industry was um there was a lot of eulogies from guys uh, that know him, that completely glossed over the fact that he was, you know, up for allegedly raping a girl. Um, they brushed it away with, oh, he moved away from the light. He was less than perfect. He was, um, I don't know, all of those kind of Complicated things. Complicated man. <laughs> Compl- yeah, yeah, complicated. He'd had abuse himself. I heard some someone say that as an excuse as well um not that it's an excuse um and then I just it obviously triggered something because I have my own stories in the industry um of assault and rape so I found out that the girl that he allegedly raped was a female DJ and then I was like how like she's one of us she's another DJ like this is such an insane story now um not that it would make any difference if it was a girl that you know in a club wherever it makes no difference but I think I just connected it to the fact that we weren't taking care of this like Mm. and then everyone went after her really badly um and I it just triggered me and I just I was like I put a thing on my Instagram saying you know 
to all the people or all the women that have been sexually assaulted and harassed uh, in the industry, me too. Um, Because I knew that some of these women were going to be feeling the same way that I was. And then I also put out like for a mentorship, like I'm going to do like a mentorship program for a few people. And at the same time this was happening, I was, you know, having conversations with women, um, you know, to, to see if I could mentor them, bring them into the industry. And I just was like, what, what's my responsibility here? If I don't stand up now and say something and try and make a difference, I'm bringing them into this industry knowing full well that they could potentially be raped or, and assaulted. And um, for me, it just didn't feel right. And it just kind of grew from there into like a campaign. And then I was approached by a woman who'd already set a few of these campaigns up and she told me how to set it all up. Um, and we worked together um, and yeah, had help with the website and some other areas and, and then we just launched it really. Um, but yeah, that's the, all the reasons why. No, it's Amazing. so awesome. Courageous. Mm. I mean, also I think that like so much of like, the patriarchy in whatever <laughs> the patriarchy in whatever industry one is like especially within um dance music or as i've experienced it is this idea that women are often like pitted against each other because we're like basically if not told outright then kind of like it's alluded to the fact that like we're all in competition all the time <laughs> you know and that like it's not necess- it's like for the one female DJ on the festival or the booking ro- lineup or that, you know, like on the roster of the agency or, you know, and instead of kind of being like, um, having this feeling of like girls coming up behind me and kind of like overtaking me by so far in terms of success that it's like, that's actually the best possible thing. You know, the fact that it's like, it could, we could be moving towards gender equality instead of kind of vying for male validation to get to points of success. You know, this idea that there's like only so much room at the top for women. It's like, it's bullshit. <laughs> and <Really>? so, <laughs> you, yeah, but you making it not only like for the music, making it safer, and then you kind of taking women actively through kind of mentor programs. Yeah, is I mean, amazing. For me, it's a real big lesson because, you know, I, I've been around since like the late 90s doing DJing and music and and those were the messages that I received. And I, I've just been so jealous constantly of anyone that like would go further than me. I was like, you know, I'm comparing myself, um, you know, and, and, and it, it's just so negative. And it, this is for me to work through some stuff as well, you know, and, and I've, I really... Like opened my heart and and like started listening to other people's experiences and then what really made me change my thinking was that I started looking at these other women and realizing they're just little versions of myself they want the same things they want to succeed they they found passion in music you know it's like not one person's passion is bigger than the other we're all passionate about music so it really helped me overcome this and I made friends with females and, and, you know, I had to overcome a lot of things. Um, and it's just been really, really lovely. And, and I, I do want women's voices and music to be heard in the industry. And, and that's like, it's really, really important, you know, and we need that diversity on the dance floor as well. Um, you know, it can't, it can't just be dudes, 
like, oh, please God. No, it's crazy though. I'm getting so emotional when you're talking about it because I know how much I've struggled with this like idea of being the girl in the room. Like when you're socialized to be the only woman in a male dominated field, that when somebody else comes up, it can feel really threatening and to like have the courage to kind of work through that shit and in a way that's actually like active action-based and effective is really, it's really powerful and really meaningful. Um, Cause that's like, that's the way forward, right? Like, you know, I, I feel like <laughs> we've been talking about this for the last 20 years. There's always like three women who managed to like break through the seal of like 5,000 dudes. <laughs> and then, and then like we, we this is now techno feminism and it's like it, nothing ever happens. And it feels like something's actually happening, which is so exciting. Like it feels like, like fifth wave riot girl is finally here, <laughs> you know? So thank you for like, doing the work you know because like if it's coming from a place of kind of um uh f- feeling threatened i know that i've when i get to that place i get stuck because i i it's too there's too much fear blocking me from being like empathetic compassionate and inviting and like what you're talking about doing here like is crushing it it's like literally kind of crushing those old ideologies of like a hierarchy you know so thank you <laughs> yeah thank you it's powerful. It's really powerful. How did you two meet? Through the through one of the biggest feminists in the scene, Dave Clark. No, it's true. Uh, <laughs> Dave hates being called a feminist, even he, though everything he, he talks about is feminism. <laughs> he calls himself the feminist. Like I don't know. Like he he's def he calls himself a hairy feminist. Oh well, I feel like this <laughs> idea of like gender neutrality or like gender equality is feminism you know and there was always this kind of ongoing dialogue of like he's like i'm not for women i want everybody to have an equal opportunity i'm like that's feminism dave not it. shout out dave Clark. i hope you listen i love you very much <laughs> <laughs> but yeah that's awesome that's like that is exactly how we met um so um for those of us who might not be up to date on the present state of affairs regarding sexual um, misconduct and rape culture within the dance music industry. Could you sort of break it down a little bit? So it's it's basically throughout, it seems and it's appearing to be throughout the whole of the industry. Um, it starts on the dance floor with just local club goers just being a bit more gropey. Yeah, grabby. It, grabby, touchy. Um it's not uncommon to have a guy's hands over you while you're dancing in, in lots of clubs um, to a little bit of sexism here and there, you know, you know, needing women, needing help, setting things up, setting equipment up straight, like, or not knowing that they're actually the artist um, and thinking that they're the, the, the DJ's girlfriend, you know, like there's, or like, there's wow, this... you're so good for a girl. And you're like, Oh yeah, that too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah the messages of being um what was the messages that i that i was always hearing uh the best women djs are as good as the most average men that was wow. the yeah that was what the messages i got um and then there's assault cases that are coming up um the stories and the testimonials that we have on the site is anything from um you know, things that happen in festivals to backstage, um, you know, and then full on uh, rapes as well. 
Um, it happens within companies as well. Um, it's, it's just, I, I don't know, it just feels like if you speak to any uh, female artist or person of colour or, you know, any members of the LGBTQT communities, they will at least have one story within the industry. So it's it, it's pretty throughout and rampant, I would say. Um, and, yeah, there's there's also stories of, some of these DJs at the top who are also, you know, have been assaulting women as well. Um, so yeah, it's, it's quite a lot. I don't, I don't really don't know how to break it down as such in such, cause it's just so, it's just Insidious. everywhere. It's just everywhere. It's just like from really small accounts to the really big accounts. And um, we just, we've just been in a like a culture of silence like no one talks about it women don't talk about it they don't speak up because they're going to lose their jobs or they're going to be slut shamed um and generally if they do bring it up yeah they you know like the instance with Eric Murillo his victim had this huge thing on on a website basically just destroying her character so anyone that was um like trying to protect Eric would then use this information that they saw. And it was actually just all bullshit, you know, like it was just to really um, drag her name down. And, and I heard from a friend who also said that Eric was directly saying this stuff to, you know, he, he, he was believing that this was her character. So I, I just, you know, it, it was just, that was the narrative around it. Um, nice. So women just, or minorities and we just don't have a chance so we need to flip this flip the switch and we need to start speaking out and we need to show the industry how much of this is going on and we need to have a safe like space for women to actually come out and we need to support them and believe them first um and yeah it's kind of shocking (laughs) as well like how present it is throughout the industry I used to work um in production in the other side I was an artist liaison and I remember you know like bringing something up that happened that was very fucking untoward and it was just like shut up you're not the musician (laughs) it doesn't matter you know what I mean you're just like running the fucking dressing room or you're like working for the artist like no (laughs) like sorry no job now like didn't you know and that really sucked but what that really taught me as somebody who was really you know basically just trying to pay their way and you know really wanted to be part of that um was like if you speak up you won't have work boom so I'm curious about like how much that's people are coming through not just artists but people like in production tour managers people who might not necessarily have a voice because they might not be somebody is are people coming forward yeah they they are coming forward um there's been i think the the catalyst has been the eric murillo case and obviously subsequent death and uh the way that the whole industry reacted to that but then after that um, then it started to, you know, more women came forward. There, there's there's a a couple of journalists that the women are actually really trusting and um, that are really fighting this, you know, that really, really want to, you know, show this, how much is going on. So 
it is it's like photographers it's you know it is it's like people that work for promoters or festivals it is those people in different positions it's not just um people you know people on the dance floor or the, f- the female artists it's it is it's literally across the board um you know there's even been hotel staff where these DJs have been staying and you know it, it's it is really insane so so yeah I think probably in the next few months I think more and more stories are going to be coming out um I don't know um much about the the stories I know we get the testimonials in we get anonymous ones so we're not legally allowed to say names and stuff but it's it's really from promoters to DJs to sound engineers um to you know depart like in departments like managers of bars and and it's just yeah just anywhere where there's power it's a power thing so anyone that's in in a powerful position um has been getting away with this stuff if they're a bit rapey they're going to get away with it so uh and then there's the no real way to report this um it gets reported in house and then generally that's as far as it goes and then you know, you see cases of them, the the victim, or like slowly being pushed into a different role or slowly being pushed out of the company, um, you know, or another case is where they don't believe that person. And then it's not until the third or fourth victim appears that they start to really finally go, oh, right. actually, we do have a problem. And that's already ruined three or four girls' lives. I mean, so, also consider like if it is a power thing that, that touring DJs, <laughs> you're working with different people every night, you know, so it's like it's leaving a trail. It's not necessarily localized, which makes it even harder to kind of track. Ugh. Um, and I know we've talked personally about how addiction or alcoholism might play a big role on both sides of the issue we're talking about in terms of like allowing predators to act on their worst impulses or like, as in Morello's case, to blame active addiction for said impulses, and then also allowing survivors of sexual trauma to blame themselves, you know, or being fucked up for an incident, you know, like I was, I, it was my fault. I was, I was too drunk. I shouldn't have drank that, you know, like, so obviously like addiction is rampant in nightlife. Um, do you feel like your recovery has informed your experience, um, or your desire to bring attention to this? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I spent like I've got I've got like specific uh, like experiences where it was definitely not my fault and I knew that. Um but then there's a couple where it's like such a gray area of like I was really under the influence. Um you know, I was kind of manipulated into things uh, because I was, you know, following my addiction. Um so but in the end now in hindsight the way that I look at it these you know the people that did that to me were way older than me they were like in their 30s already I was 19 and they abused that power they abused the situation they saw that I was vulnerable and they abused that um so in the hindsight I can see that and I I think we have to stop blaming ourselves you know we have to you know especially the the young girls that are out there getting assaulted and because they're high or you know and and it's just like they're in they're backed into a corner they don't know how to deal with it um and because the situation of these clubs and you know it's, it's pretty much one of the most vulnerable areas that we can really have you know other than a dark alley at night 
you know, what's the what's the next worst place? And that's probably going to be a dark club with lots of dark corners and, you know, people high and, you know, it, it's super vulnerable. Yeah. And I mean, I think it's also important to speak to the fact that like, you know, we are essentially a lot of the time DJing can feel like an elaborate mating ritual. You know, it is like a cave at night with like drunk people moving bodies. And at the same time, like we have evolved. It is 2020, right? So like consent can be sexy and like club mm. club spaces can also be sexy. And I think part of like what we can look to in in kind of like heteronormative techno culture is how queer spaces or kink spaces have made consent really important and really empowered and also sexy, you know, just because it's like we're t- the the idea of body autonomy, you know, like that somebody in power can't just grab a human body assuming it's theirs if it's not their fucking body, you know, and to to create like a dialogue about consent and education and this idea that it's like. It's not, it's not just like a joke. It's not fucking around. It's not just like, oh, she was asking for it. Like all that shit is so like such bullshit. I mean, unfortunately, like we're seeing it in other areas, like the US presidency, but the idea that we like, we want to punch up, you know, like we can make this a safer space. We can make this a better experience for everybody. You know, it does, it doesn't have to be like shaming sexuality or shaming a desire to be sexual. It's just like, Consent is absolutely necessary. Enthusiastic and ongoing consent at any stage of anything, all across the board, including in clubs. Yeah. And it can be sexy. And how powerful that you're both sober women in that space, like fucking on a chariot, (laughs) making that a safe space for other women. And, you know, across the board for men too, because I don't think women are just the only people who suffer here. You know, I think um, across the genders, it's really... Yeah, sadly, it's, I mean, yeah. (laughs) I'm also finding that I'm like struggling in this conversation. I'm just going to put that out there because this is like, this is such like a tender topic, isn't it? Like, and, you know, is certainly like I just joined the music industry therapy and coaches collective as one of their coaches. And I'm always just like, I don't want to remember the music industry, <laughs> like, no, you know, like I don't, I don't have good fond memories of my experience of working in the music industry. So I'm just so grateful women like you are in there championing, championing, you know, future nieces and nephews or children or whatever who are going out there, you know, because that makes, that makes it a hopeful and an inviting space. I think the saddest thing is that, you know, we're not first to the party on this, unfortunately, you know, this, th- there's been women and collectives that have been trying and pushing for this for some time. So I, I don't think, you know, we can take full credit because it's been kind of like on the, the margin, marginalised areas. They've been really pushing for this for, I'd say, six, seven years. And every now and again, like a case will come up, say, like the Jackmaster thing that yeah. came up. Or Billy and then everyone, everyone has the attention again and then it fizzles out and, you know, back to normal um, but I'm just hoping that this time we we all join forces, you know, we join forces with all the collectives that are really pushing for the same thing. And, um, you know, like we can now we've got the captive audience Like at the minute we're struggling to 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 have a little bit more space because you've got the, the Black Lives Matter campaign, which is which is super needed. Um, 
and fully underway. And then obviously in the UK, as you know, there's uh, the whole campaign against the government because they're not paying any money to anybody and like trying to get everybody to change jobs and stuff. Um, so that's taken up a lot of space. Um, so with the for the music campaign, I think it's going to be more of a slow burner and we're going to, you know, we're going to keep talking about this and, you know, we're going to keep pushing for the the kind of club scene that we want to return to. Amazing. Um, Good. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully like that slow chipping away is what's needed. Do you know what I mean? Rather than it just being like, oh, this is the new campaign that's happening. It's like actually to get really in and under those issues, it has to be like a slow, consistent thing. So maybe that's no bad thing right now. Well, it has. It seemed like kind of spot checking in the past, right? Like as you mentioned, Jack Master and now with Eric Morello and like it seems like there's kind of enough dialogue around like previous like what seemed like one-off instances but were actually like insidious epidemic <laughs> like that it looks like there's actually concrete action to take on behalf of the entire industry across the board you know from the kind of business side to the actual like club going side that makes this a safer and healthier community um and so how can people listening who might want to be involved uh, or sorry restate how can people listening who uh, might be involved in club culture either as consumer or working within nightlife help support for the music so if you're a consumer i think um you can go and sign the open letter that we have so that basically just allows the industry to know how many people really want change um and they want action and then for anyone that's in the industry, whether it's DJ, um, magazine or, you know, um, any of the tech companies that really want to make a difference, promoters, festivals, we have a pledge. And um, that pledge is just to be signed and it's just to, to show your commitment that you're ready to make those changes. And then through that, we want to bring in some initiatives we want to join people. We want to join the festivals with initiatives that can help educate them more on how to spot sexual harassment and assault. Um, what we want them to sort of promise is that they, you know, what the expectations are when you go to a festival, what are the expectations? It's not going to be a completely safe space because, you know, that's, it's kind of um, a bit utopian, mm. but what they can promise is that they're, they're definitely working towards a safer space and if you do spot sexual harassment then they've got people in place where you can you can actually talk to and um and you oh, know and then at least people know there's zero tolerance if they're anyone's caught out doing any of that stuff it's like they're going to be thrown out straight away um but we're going to really be supporting the people that have been harassed or you know it's we have to really look after these victims and um support them and know that there's something that they can speak out of. There's been so many times I get messages um, on my Instagram after a gig saying that, you know, a girl has been harassed by one of the doormen, you know, one of the security. And it's like, ah, oh, it's just like the worst thing ever. And then having to then go and speak to the promoter and say, look, you know, I'm like, they're contacting me. You know, I'm hoping that this is going to be resolved. You know, you really need to check the staff. And, um, so if we can put initiatives together and we can all educate ourselves and learn a bit more about what it actually looks like to spot harassment, then I think, um, you know, we're definitely making more progress. Awesome. Um, you're such a force today and it's so exciting to kind of hear about the actual initiatives that are being put in place, like that it's not talk, it's a lot of action. 
Um, is there anything that you might say to your former self or to somebody who's walked through similar trauma, who's not quite kind of in the light yet? Is there any like words of wisdom that you'd like to give to, to that person? Um, don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I, I mean, I think the, the biggest thing that I've learned is like, I don't really care anymore what people think. And that for me was the big turning point. Like to do this campaign, I actually, I've got nothing to hide. Like anyone that wants to say anything bad about me, it's already been said. So I don't actually really care. And I think you kind of need to have that attitude to come into doing something like this because there's going to be people that want to, you know, take you down or, uh, and so on. But, um, at some point, you know, you can get through it and you can be stronger. And like, I had to look at all my, like all my photos, all the worst photos I ever took of me with different objects and, you know, in my top shelf stuff. And I had to make peace with it. And I think making peace with any assault or stuff that's happened to you, um, it's like it, you make peace with it. It doesn't make, that doesn't mean that it's right. And it, you know, that the perpetrator was, you know, has a free pass, but it's like, it's something that happened to me. It's not who I am. It doesn't define me. And it's the same with my, my, you know, the page three and the modeling and and the porn stuff that people like to bring up to try and get to me. It's something I did. It's not who I am. And I, and I can put all of that into, you know, that, that kind of category. And a lot of it is all wrapped up in my addiction and, you know, the, the, where my addiction took me as well. Um, so yeah. and, And, and I think just getting older, you just care less. I mean, and it's really rare because as addicts, you know, we're so, so like sensitive, mm. like it has to be like at some point, you know, you go over a go over <laughs> the hill and like. <laughs> I'm still here, it. motherfuckers. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's really beautiful. Thank you. For yeah. That. That's really hopeful and incredible. Oh, thank you. <laughs> um. So to pivot the conversation once again to some light affair, one thing we like to talk about on sober sex is the sex ideal and who you're trying to grow towards um, today in your sexual or romantic or intimate relationships. I suppose just to, I think just to let go. Like I just want to be in the moment and I just want to let go of control because a lot of the time when I'm in the acts, it's just my head's just like me, 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 me. It's like a, it's like a, like it narrates to me during it. Like we like having a conversation in my head, and it'd be really nice to to be free of that. And I, and I know it's possible because I've definitely been free before. Um, so yeah, I mean that's the ideal, I think. <laughs> yes, I think that we're all growing towards that. <laughs> yeah, yeah we're like. Thank you. No one invited you to the bedroom, whoever you are. <laughs> I go like. <laughs> I just have to honor that voice sometimes. Sometimes I'm like, okay, see so you're coming in. Thanks. <laughs> Great. Have a little nap. <laughs> um, I know it seems 
often like as women in dance music can be it can be easy to feel pressure to either like hypersexualize or like the opposite like stamp out any vestige of erotic energy so that people don't get the wrong idea you know um or like take us seriously um and like from the outside as an observer it looks like you're doing a really good job of kind of owning your power without being explicitly sexual um do you feel like you channel any sexual erotic energy when you play or when you create I I don't think so. I think I, I I I mean when I see myself, I think I look like a dude, like stomping around. <laughs> so dude masculine, like dude sexual energy, perhaps. Um, but no, that I because of what I did previously with modelling and and the, which was obviously sex, selling sex in one way or another. Um, I like chose to really downplay my sexuality you know with my you know with my career you know it's always the black t-shirts and you know all the the usual just like trying to sort of fit in and like not be too sexy um so I did that for quite a long time I didn't even want people to see my face I wanted them to see the music first and I went on that angle um rather than use my image to sell everything that's why I was really late to Instagram because I just thought well what's the point of it? it's just a picture um and you know but then I realized that that's probably not the right way to go either so I like you got to try and bring a little bit of sexuality in you know it is who we are you can't be in denial of that and obviously me being in denial of that it still has that knock-on effect with my sex life mm. you know because then you don't know who you are like it's like I, I, like you know still finding out who I am and I suppose I'm still I don't know the concepts that I use with my music creatively are still not sexual as such Uh, maybe one track I made a long time ago was a little bit like a a sex theme Um, so I'm still not really playing with those themes and until I play with those themes it wouldn't make sense as an artist to use those themes as how I market myself totally so but it's interesting though because like I I feel like most female DJs maybe I don't know maybe most DJs, maybe anybody on the internet, <laughs> like there can be feedback, you know, that about kind of commentary that's not necessarily welcome, right? Like I'm sure on your Instagram, like you're, you get feedback surrounding the idea of you as a sexual person. And it's just like, and that's not even necessarily like um, demeaning or kind of like negative. It's just like, Ooh, some, some random dude and <laughs> like, <laughs> Bavaria is like <laughs> sexy with six Y's sexy <laughs> like how do, how do you feel surrounding that because I know I am always just like who <laughs> like, what are you talking about <laughs> yeah I, I I mean I just let I leave a lot I leave most of those comments on I'm like whatever because it's you know it's how they want to perceive it um and but then if it gets a little bit too much I will delete the ridiculous ones um but my favorite one is uh marry with me it's always the good one it's <laughs> not marry me it's marry with me I've like I like that one marry with me so I'm like a wifey material the best one I get I, I mean I'm kind of going beyond that now as I get older I'm like the aunt, the techno aunt, apparently. Oh, yeah, That's I get it. I'm just like, who's my <laughs> <laughs> I'm an aunt, so I, like the mom is like the next level. So um, uh, like, oh. 
<laughs> oh man! Ah, <laughs> oh, I would say thank you. And what is it? Nieces, nephews, and children of techno. Yeah. <laughs> love it, love it. Did you ever think you're going to become the techno aunt, guys? Like the techno mum? No. How did this happen? I haven't even <laughs> moved into the sexual part yet. You know, like I've still got some way to go. I was like hoping that I was going to have a moment of uh, being able to use my sexuality. It's, it's coming. Not- it's not going to happen. <laughs> I don't know about that. Never say never. <laughs> it's mature sexuality. It's not for the children. Um, you recently, or no, wait, starting over. You have a forthcoming killer EP on some. I've been delighted to receive this as a promo uh, entitled rather delightfully Bitter Boys Club. <laughs> <laughs> Love that night. That's so good. It's like the BBC baby. Um, <laughs> um, do you have any, I mean, I guess we kind of touched on this, but do you have any reaction through, um, do you have any fear about the reaction from said bitter boys or girls around what you're trying to do with, for the music or with kind of naming it, like perhaps thumbing your nose at this idea of like enough of the bitter boys club. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it was called, I did abbreviate it. It's funny that you abbreviated it, but um, it was abbreviated. Then I pulled it back out of it to its original title um yeah the timing of that ep is not the best to be honest (laughs) title wise it was made um it was probably made the track was actually made about a year and a half ago so i can't remember why i called it that there was some something on twitter probably it's always on twitter um yeah there was something going on twitter and i was just like had enough so i just like you know made a track and it was just something really fun to do one day with my voice and and what have you but um yeah I think it, the timing isn't great but I actually don't really like I said I'm not really too bothered um yeah it's a bit ironic but whatever <laughs> no I mean I really I really appreciate like the kind of it sounds like you've been through some kind of full acceptance journey with whatever the fuck response you're gonna get from either side and like fuck it that's beautiful like, it, it, that can actually be a very spiritual answer like fuck it <laughs> yeah <laughs> I mean, I don't, to be honest, I don't get too much hate. I see other females get a lot more and in a way it's for them as well. You know, it's not just for me because I've kind of been a little bit exempt from getting uh, so much hate, Um, obviously because I'm just not popular enough, but still. (laughs) I feel the same way. I'm like, well... Like so, maybe I'm intentionally going out there to get the hate to make me make me feel more popular. I don't know. <laughs> Asking for it. Uh-uh. Yeah. Um, no, yeah. So I don't know. It's um, it's yeah. I mean, for the music, it's 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 more serious. Like the the EP is just something really fun and silly, and was made in a moment of me observing something. And um, but obviously for the for the music, it's something that I have actually wanted to do since the Jackmaster thing, but I just wasn't ready to to start it then to come out and I'm kind of helping like doing a testimonial for myself for the website and putting my two stories up there really helped me and um, I'm hoping that if more women want to share their testimonials anonymously no one no one knows who they are no one we're not naming names but it was very therapeutic for me to write it out write the whole story um I got very emotional and it was like like owning it like I said before and like if anyone's affected in in any way through assault or rape or even harassment sexism you know I do welcome them to come to the website and it's just me that gets the email so they're just talking to me 
how I see them. Nice one. Thank you. That's so beautiful. And we will be including all of the information on the website and the the change.org petition, should you care to sign, in the show notes. (laughs) Woo! So let's get to the lightning rounds. Rebecca, what is your favorite breakfast? Um, Oatmeal. Ooh. With maple syrup. I love maple syrup. (laughs) Can you get it on deck in Berlin? It's a little difficult in Paris. Yeah, we can get it. Nice. (laughs) Amazing. (laughs) We know you're a fitness junkie. What was your most recent favorite workout? Um... Oh, hiking. I went down to a place in uh, Schweiz. That's probably not pronounced very correctly, <laughs> but I gave it a go. I'll do that. <laughs> um, and it was with my friend Connor, and it, it was a combination of like um, really high high hiking with very narrow paths and then some via ferrata. So we did a bit of climbing as well. Beautiful. Oh, lovely. Songs that make you feel powerful. Oh, um Not sure. Oh, a, um, a really old Maelstrom t- track. There's one of your one of your friends, Louisa. Indeed. And um, there's this killer, this killer, killer track. I have to find the title of it. I will find it. It's absolutely amazing. Little did we know that he also makes really fast banging techno, or he did. Indeed, and is also like he was one of the first people to sign the pledge. Excitingly, so that's really. Oh, it's nice when we have oh, uh, <laughs> our male feminist. So it's called Ooh. it's called Archetype. I think it's pretty old. Do you know that one, Louisa? I don't think I do, which is a kind of I feel ashamed of. <laughs> Sorry, you were Miles. missing out. You were totally missing out. <laughs> so that was that, yeah, that one. Anything really hard, fast, and yeah, that's got energy. Techno really just makes me feel quite powerful still. No, love that. Just the best. <laughs> I mean, what's there to say? Like, even if they keep renaming it as a genre, <laughs> it's still the best. Um, have you ever seen a ghost? Yes. <laughs> really? <laughs> have you? Tell us. Tell me all this about is that. A, this, I love a ghost. I mean, story. this is like we could talk. This could be a whole new podcast if you're up for it. Come back and talk about ghosts. Because <laughs> no, I, I, I've had sexual encounters and shit like that. We'll have to have you back to talk about ghosts. <laughs> Sober. Like, like, like a little bit weird. I mean, all my themes in my music is always a little bit like the last EP I did was ghost stories. And yeah, I've got lots of stuff. But um, yeah. I'm so yeah, glad I asked that time. question. <laughs> well wow. done, Louis. That's so intuitive. That's so intuitive. And what are you grateful for today? Oh, for you guys, for you doing this and uh, just for all the amazing women out there. Um, yeah, because this is a t- massive turning point for me. So, yeah, to be really connected to lots of women. Well, thank you so much for coming on and being so vulnerable and courageous and awesome. It was really, really a delight talking to you. Oh, thank you. Where can people find you, Rebecca? Um, on Instagram, which is just forward slash DJ Rebecca. Um, Rebecca. Yep. And on Facebook, but I'm not on there too much. Um, and that's successful. <laughs> yeah. It's like a graveyard at the minute. Um, it's Rebecca.music.page. And then on my SoundCloud, it's just SoundCloud forward slash Rebecca. Amazing. Thank you so much. You've been an absolute delight. So grateful that you could make it today. Thank you. Thanks a lot for having me. Shame takes you home.
so 